Hi, I'm Mike Asinald and welcome to the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge's AC23 Plus Artist Legacy Series podcast. This is a series where we talk to artists who are doing amazing things in the areas of the arts, including performance, education, production, as well as arts advocacy. We record this series in the Virginia and John Nolan Black Box Studio, as well as in the Jan and Bill Grimes Recording Studio here at the Cary Siraj Community Arts Center. Be sure to visit artsbr.org for more information on all the great things we are doing here at the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge. Hope you enjoyed the podcast series, and thanks for tuning in. That was beautiful, man. Oh, thank you so much. I'd like to welcome uh, all our viewers and listeners to the AC23 Plus Artist Legacy Series here at the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge. And today I have the real pleasure of um, introducing um, my new good friend, uh, Charlie Rao. And that was gorgeous, Charlie. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, Charlie's going to be playing tonight um, here at the Arts Council's um, Black Box Theater, the um, Virginia and John Nolan Black Box Theater. And well, that's 7.30 tonight. 7.30, yeah. Okay. And solo guitar. Mm-hmm. Solo acoustic. Um, looking forward to that. I'll, I'll be able to attend tonight. So oh, I'm thanks. Really... Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled you're going to be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, before we get into the you know the discussion, what was that you just played? Uh, that was um, uh, a piece from uh, my album, The Bluebell. Uh, that's all solo guitar stuff inspired by the poetry of Anne and Emily Bronte, um, and that one is called uh, "Though Weak Yet Longing to Believe," mm-hmm. which is named for a line in uh, Anne Bronte's poem, "The Doubter's Prayer," uh, which is one of my favorites. It's basically uh, Anne just talking about how she's. Uh, she she was a pretty uh, conflicted person and just always trying to push herself to be, you know, the best that she could be. And and this is a poem that uh, a really vulnerable statement on her end of just talking about how she feels like she's not measuring up and how she wants to be more. And, and it's just very I, I read it often and uh, I, I just find it really moving and inspiring. Um, but uh, there's a cool little story behind it. When I was writing the music for this album, I was 
uh, sort of selecting the poems that I wanted to work with from Anne and Emily. And uh, I was on tour at the time. I was in an airport in Portland just reading through the poems. And I really wanted to do something for that poem. Uh, and I was having a hard time just sort of internalizing it uh, to make music. And I had this idea. So I, like, I got my guitar out and like, went in a corner so no one could hear me. And I started like, playing this. And I, I got my phone out and I started making a voice memo so I wouldn't forget it. And then I was listening back and I was like, uh, this, this isn't good enough. Uh, you know, like it, it, it just sounds lame. I'm not into it. And I was really bummed out about it. Mm-hmm. So I start putting my guitar away, and then I look up, and there's this little girl standing in front of me that I had not heard walk up. It actually kind of scared me. <laughs> but uh, she, you know, couldn't have been more than seven or eight, and she's just standing there looking at me, and I, I just was kind of startled. And, and she says, I like your song, and then ran away. Ah. Uh, so I was like, well, now I have to keep it. Yeah, it was, it was like a little, little message. Uh, but it was, it was just uh, it, kind of an interesting situation because I was feeling uh, I I think I was just kind of reading a lot into what Anne was saying and I started feeling the same way it was like no matter what I did I felt like it wasn't going to be good enough and and I kind of needed you know a reminder of well maybe what you're doing is enough and that that kind of uh you know made the poem hit harder for me because I'm like I really hope at some point before she passed away that someone gave that to her too to Anne right uh right. so it was uh yeah that that's a really special one for me to play live because I I every time I play it live I think about uh that little girl in the airport so uh, I wanted to start off with that one that's beautiful man um well you know so you do a lot of writing mm-hmm and, and in this case, it was inspired by, by poetry. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you, like, when you're writing, does you, I know for me, if I'm writing, um, it, it comes to me in different ways. And, yeah. And I'm, I'm asking you, the, is, is that the same case? Like, do you sometimes write a piece and then, you know, really spend, have to spend a lot of time on it, crafting it? And, and did you have some that just, just come to you instantly and it's done, almost in a finished form? Yeah, I would say uh, it's, it's probably a combination of the two. Um, something that happens to me a lot is uh, I'll start kind of playing something and figure out what it's about later, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time I'll play something and I'll think I'm just playing something that I think sounds good. But then I'll realize that what I was actually thinking about was inspired by something. Uh, and in my particular case, often something I read. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's quick and sometimes it's not, uh, sometimes it's, sometimes I really want to write about something and I can't think of anything. Right. And sometimes I'm not trying at all and it just kind of comes out. So, and, and the, the form that I like to use as, as you just heard is I, I like to write miniature mm-hmm. pieces. So, um, that's just something I fell into naturally of writing sort of miniature lullaby forms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I, by that nature, I'm I'm pretty lucky, I guess, because it's it's not hard to, you know, write or record those songs. Because once I practice them, I can make a whole record in under an hour. Right. So, right. Yeah. so for me, it's it's a little different than a lot of people, where it's you have to get an ensemble together, or you have to really work out, you know, all the parts with your vocal and your instrument or something. For me, it's just me and my guitar playing miniature songs. Yeah. Um. And and again, that's something that just sort of like naturally developed because I didn't always write that way but it just started happening uh so so that's a big part of how the writing process developed for me now in our brief conversation just kind of getting to know each other prior to this recording 
Um, we talked a little bit, like we, you obviously are an improvising musician, studied jazz, or you've been influenced by a lot of those musicians, uh, those types of musicians. So this, does a lot of that, the, the beginning of that compositional process, kind of start with just improvisation, fooling with, you know, just fooling with the instrument and listening and, you know, that way, or is it... Yeah, some, I get the impression that's kind of... Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Uh, not, not always. Um, I, I don't really have a set uh, routine, yeah. uh, but absolutely, sometimes, especially when I'm writing about uh, the literature-inspired music, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll find a poem and I really like it, and I just spend you know, a few weeks or a month reading it over and over every day, and, and I just improvise. Right. Um, and I'm just, I'm just like throwing out you know, emptying my brain through improvisation. And every now and then, in that improvisation, something clicks. Like, I'm sure that's happened with you like, oh, many sure. times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes improvisation is definitely a way in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes uh, I don't want to improvise. Sometimes I, I want to not play until, like, I feel like I have an idea. Yeah. But, you know, it, it changes, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. I remember read an interview one time with the guitarist Pat Metheny. Yeah. And he was talking about the compositional process and how he was having a discussion with Jerry Goldsmith, the famous film composer. And Jerry was kind of, um, well, he just said, yeah, you jazzers, y'all, 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 all you do is play what you can, all you do is write what you can play. And he's, Metheny's like, well, that really struck with him because he's right. Like, you know, his tendency was to go to the instrument and, you know, what comes out is what his fingers are capable of doing at that time. So he just made himself, I can't remember the tune, what the result was. Maybe it was a full, uh, full circle or one of those tunes. But he said he didn't go to the guitar. He just kind of sat down at the desk and really thought about it and wrote mm. out that way. And I, I was like, wow, you know, just kind of as a composer, just the challenge of that, like making myself do it a different way. Yeah. It was interesting to me. Yeah. 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 And, and I feel like for me that, uh, it was a real breakthrough for me when I started writing a lot of music about things that I read, uh, the, the literature-inspired lullabies, because uh, I, I felt like it did that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't just sitting down and using my vocabulary right. to write. I was taking something, and I had to represent it somehow. Yeah. So that, that yeah. wound up pushing me into uh, like different chord voicings and different melodies that I never would have come up with if I wasn't trying to translate the, the writing. Right. So I think, I think that, that conversation that they had, it is important uh, for all musicians, I think, um, to just find a way to constantly be a little uncomfortable, you know, and not, not just sit down and be like, we've all put so much work into, you know, honing our craft on an instrument and not to rest on that. Right. And, you know, yeah. and to be yeah, like, right. well, what's something that's going to push me out of it and let me utilize that work in a new way every time, mm-hmm. or, or at least that's the hope. But yeah. I, I know for me, like I've never, and you've you've already challenged me to to investigate poetry and, and using that as an inspiration. But, but I know in, in my background, because I've I've found myself writing a lot, you know, for picture, you know, of like for films and that type of yeah. stuff. But that's kind of almost in a none of that. I think about it, it's in a similar way where absolutely the the framework is kind of given to you. The mood is somewhat dictated. There's different ways you can interpret it, but in a way it, it, it kind of helps the compositional process. Yeah. You know, to have a, a direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I would imagine when you're writing for film, cause you've done so much of it. Uh, it's not like you have a template. You're like, well, I'm writing for film. This is what writing for film is. 
You know, it's like you're you're taking the project and you're like, what does this project need? Every, everyone's completely different. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's really no different at all from what I'm talking about with uh, literature and, and composing for film because you, you can only use what you have, but you can use what you have in a different way right, if, right. You're, if you're trying to reach for something else. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine composing for film... Uh, it, it must be similar to that. I think so. Um, yeah. I, 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 a big uh, uh, composer I really love is uh, Max Richter. Uh, oh yeah, with, with his yeah. film scores. Yeah, classic. Uh, and he's he's cool because I feel like he. Uh, what I like about him is he's definitely got a thing. He's got a sound. Yeah, he's yeah. got a sound. But every score really is. Uh, you know, it, it really does fit that project. Uh, yeah. Or I, I think. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I really love. Uh, sleep his his project sleep um mm-hmm. and and all that stuff uh so he, he's a good example of what we're talking about where it's like you you can have sort of your identity but you're you're sort of like reintroducing it by the project right uh, you know a film film composer for me that does that today is uh thomas newman he's another one where <laughs> I don't know how much you've listened. Well, we've all listened to him and yeah. maybe not known it, but because he's done so many films. But he's a guy too that, you know, in, within two or three chords, because yeah. of the way he voices chords, whether it's on the piano or in the orchestra. Very shortly, you know it's him. Yeah. Or you know that sound. Yeah. And but it's a it's beautiful how they can he can take his identity and morph it into a film project where one score is really completely different than the other one. Yeah. But you know it's him. Yeah. That's, that's a real art form. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, tell me about your background. Like, so was guitar your first instrument? No, I actually, uh, the first thing I ever played was upright bass. Oh, really? Um, because I, I grew up watching a lot of old movies. Uh, my mom is a big classic film fan, and uh, I grew up, you know, having those movies on from mm. the 30s and 40s. Uh, like, you know, Maltese Falcon and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Double Indemnity and a lot of oh, those yeah. movies. Yeah. Like, and, and I love, I really like the music in that, the, the film scores in it. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of those movies, there was also like a jazz uh, element mm-hmm. um, for the time. And uh, I really like that combination of jazz and cinematic score. Sure. Uh, I like that sound. So I wanted to learn how to play music and somehow be connected to that. And when I was in fourth grade, I tried playing upright bass, but it didn't really work out. Uh, it was really hard for me to play. That's a hard instrument. Yeah, it's a hard instrument. I was a very small child. <laughs> like, I'm, I mean, right. I'm not a big guy. Like, but when I was a kid, I was really small. Like, um, so that didn't really work out. So I switched over to clarinet and yeah. uh, alto saxophone. Um, and I was mainly a jazz musician through my teens. Mm-hmm. My father's a guitar player, and as I got a little older, I took an interest in that, so he taught me how to play guitar. Okay. Um, so guitar came later. I started playing when I was around 13. Mm. Um, but it, it very swiftly took over because I could play by myself. I could, yeah. you know, it, it was like a little, you know, I, I started feeling like it was a little orchestra or an ensemble. Like I could play multiple notes at the same time. I could, right. I could fully form songs uh, so, yeah, guitar, you know, took over, but it did come later. Yeah. Okay. I'm always jealous of, of guys like y'all because um, as a pianist, you know, yeah, it, well, we sh- we're, we're kindred spirits in that we can, we can play by ourselves and yeah. it sounds complete. But, but I can't just go to, from the living room to the kitchen mm-hmm. with the piano. Guitar, you can. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Yeah, I, I love the, 
I love the mobility of it and and right. being able to tread the troubadour element of it. Yeah, yeah, it is it is very special. Yeah, I, I know for me, my 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 recent answer to that is kind of more recent, the past couple of years is um, learning accordion. Oh yeah, for the kind of I love. Well, there's something too about that, and I guess I know you experienced that with guitar, having the instrument. Close. So close yeah. to you and resonating, and I, when as soon as I started playing accordion, I was like, "Wow, I love the piano, you know, dearly." But this is a different thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And like accordion and acoustic guitar, like you, you can really feel the vibrations of it. Yeah. Um, and and it's a very tactile experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for about twenty years, I when I was a guitarist, uh, when I started as a guitarist, um, I only played electric guitar, uh, and around 2017 I started getting into acoustic for that reason because I was like uh I used to like to play electric guitar with reverb and delay and stuff and I still do it's it's fun mm-hmm. but the re- I realized the reason I was doing it is because I was trying to just make it sound like an acoustic guitar that has natural overtones right you know and that has when you play an acoustic guitar especially alone it's it's a duet I mean like you can feel the thing responding right in ways you right. like and ways you don't like you know and and you're kind of like having this like conversation with it until you meet in the middle mm-hmm. uh, and it's really cool yeah so cool. There, there is there is an element of that I can see how accordion would be similar too yeah yeah, yeah. the only difference is you, you know we're doing this after a while yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm still trying to get the chops <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no that's hard yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so you're originally from where? Like, where did you grow up and where did it all start? Um, I, I was born in Virginia, um, northern Virginia, in Alexandria. And then uh, my family moved when I was really young to Alabama. So that's where I grew up uh, mm-hmm. mostly in and, and, uh, sort of my formative years uh, when I started playing clarinet. Um, and then my family moved back to Virginia, northern Virginia, in my teens. So that's where I went to high school. And then later for, for a couple of years at Shenandoah to study mm-hmm. uh, jazz and conservatory. Yeah. So once you finished that, would kind of take me through the route? So you went from there to, um, like when you started working as a musician? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, I left Shenandoah after two years, and I moved to uh, Nashville in Tennessee. Oh, okay. And um, that's where I got started There's doing... no guitar players over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I, I, I kind of like bit off way more than I could chew with that being my first big move in my early 20s, but... Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a grinding process. Uh, I, I never made a living uh, as a musician in Nashville. I always had uh, various like crazy day jobs. Like I was a chimney sweep for a oh, while. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I was a chimney sweep, window repairman. Uh, worked in a shipping and receiving in a shoe store. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked the front desk at a really sketchy hotel. Like a lot of weird <laughs> stuff happened there that I'm not going to say on the podcast. Okay, but like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but so I was doing that. And then at night I was out gigging and uh, I did some teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and uh, a good friend of mine to this day, Jim Riley, um, who's a producer, um, I just happened to be in the audience when I was backing up a singer-songwriter in East Nashville one night. And he asked me if I ever did uh, recording work, and I hadn't. But I, I was like, "But I want to." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, due to his kindness and uh, just his outreach, he brought me in on my first professional recording work and introduced me to other, you know, session players in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got my feet wet in Nashville the last couple of years I was there doing studio work, and I'm still really good friends with a lot of those people. Yeah. Learned a lot. Um, the first sessions I did were all recording uh, to tape, so that was pretty intense. Uh, so, but but that kind of shaped my approach to recording when I moved to New York. 
and uh, I, I pretty quickly was able to carve out a living in New York uh, full-time with music when I got there. So mm-hmm. I was in Nashville for four years, okay. started doing professional work, but not full-time pretty much the last year. And then I moved to New York and was able to start, a, start building on that and uh, making a living at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I would imagine that was quite different, though. The, the, I, when I think of Nashville and, you know, what you typically hear coming out of that area and moving to New York, where Lord knows what you get. I mean, there's so much going on in New York. Yeah. Uh, what, what was that scene like when you showed up there? Well, it was, it was interesting because, uh, I mean, like, uh, being a musician in New York is, is uh, you know, obviously it's not easy. It has mm-hmm. its challenges like anywhere. But one thing that is really cool about it is uh, just how you know, wide a variety of things. Like you said, there's so many things happening. So many styles are just being thrown around. And also the population, the professional population is so transient. You know, people are, um, for instance, I'm in Louisiana right now. So I called up a buddy of mine and he's covering my gigs while I'm gone. You know, like the gigs that I have there, that happens so much. So when I moved there, I was able to hop in on so much stuff because I would meet people that I got along with, and they're like, hey, uh, would you mind covering these gigs? Because I'm going to go on tour. And through those gigs, I met other people and right, other right. people. I yeah. wound up getting more and more recording work and, and mm-hmm. sideman work. And uh, for a while, I, I was m- way more focused on that and not composing as much, yeah. uh, just like getting established that way. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still predominantly how I make a living. Right. Um, right. But yeah, New York was just um, certain things about it are can facilitate certain strategies if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. if you're the kind of person that has a lot of energy and likes to go out you can get a lot of work like pretty quick uh, in new york but if you're not uh you know if you're if you are more on the reserve side and you just kind of want to like take your time it can be pretty brutal i've seen it destroy people like that sure Uh, so one thing i've learned over the years as a musician and just just an artist i guess is the power of uh, networking and of course, these days with you know the aid of social media and all that business, yeah. um, it just happens so fast. But yeah, I just tagged you. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> uh, we're friends in so many ways. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, that's uh, that's the thing I have a whole lot of faith in. Is just you know, and it's it's reassuring um, to. And there's another thing about the, in music, particularly. I feel like. When you when you're able to make music with somebody, you know, even if it's just a duo situation. There's a there's a connection, and um, it's different from just a typical friendship. There's yeah. a, there's a you know empathetic thing that happens or might not happen. It just depends, but but that's very lasting, and it's um, and that network can grow really quickly. Of this yeah. type, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and that counts for a lot. Uh, I, I mean, because people, uh, I mean, people remember. People remember very specific things. You know, they they remember if you were a real jerk, you know, in the sure. studio. They remember if you were a pain or or they remember, yeah, that person was pretty easy to get along with and mm-hmm. like, you know, didn't argue with the producer, you know, wasn't wasn't always trying to like step on people's toes. Right. So yeah. Right. Well, um I wanna get you to I mean I want you to play some more. So okay. <laughs> play something for me and tell me what, what, it's, what it is. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'll play a little bit of uh, a recent project of mine uh, called Angels of Annunciation. And this is a project that I wanted to do for a while, uh, inspired by Anne Morrow Lindbergh's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
mostly known as the wife of Charles Lindbergh, but very little, in my opinion, little known uh, just for what a brilliant writer she was and, and thinker she was. Mm. Um, so she she wrote a lot of really cool memoirs about when she was uh, Charles's co-pilot um, and, uh, you know, just their sort of adventurous surveying flights uh, you know, around the world. And she wrote really beautiful poems uh, that that are some of my favorite I've ever read, actually. And she also wrote this really great book called Gift from the Sea. Um, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with I'm that not, one. No. It's, it's really awesome. So she had a, a cottage, a summer cottage that she would go to, a, like sort of a writer retreat. And uh, she wrote this when she was staying there, and she would go for a walk every morning, and she would pick up a shell. And depending on what kind of shell it was, that was the name of the chapter uh, for the book. And the book is basically talking about just the stages of life and like getting older and uh, you know, what you notice happening and like, it's, it's just a really beautiful observation on life and, and aging. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I took the name angels of enunciation from a quote when she says uh, that you might see, you know, change and things happening as being, you know, sort of a something to oppose, like, like if bad things are happening, you need to fight back against them. And she says they might not be, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, they might not be demons. They might be angels of enunciation. They might be, oh, you know, like announcing a change that new, you need to chapter. pay attention to. You might yeah. be missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, that record, I, uh, I kind of made this one, uh, I gave a few nods to um, uh, an experiential element, which I've never done before. So when she was a co-pilot for Charles, they would do, um, she was the radio operator as well, mm-hmm. and they would, to maximize flight time, they would each sleep for about four-minute increments and then, like, tap each other, and the other one would take the controls. Four-minute? Yeah. They would, they would take these, like, tiny naps, like, mm-hmm. to just, like, be able to stay longer and make their, their deadlines. And uh, all the while, Anne was also on the radio, you know, relaying their locations and stuff. So on the, the actual recording, the, it, it's an EP, but um, I broke it up with uh, a little motif that I named after short, uh, shorthand radio signals. Hmm. Um, and uh, that little motif sounds like this. So it's just that, and uh, yeah. I, I added that at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, mm-hmm. and that combined with uh, all of the music uh, when it's played on the recording equals the amount of time of each of them having a sleep break. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like a little Easter egg right. in there uh, right. for people, and that's yeah. the, from her book, uh, North to the Orient. So I'll play a little bit of that. Um, I'll play the title track, Angels okay. of Annunciation, to it. Yeah. Thank you. 
place. It's beautiful, man. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, watching that, um, in we were in our previous our conversation leading up to the the interview. Um, it just reminds me how spoiled uh, us as pianists are when it comes to playing solo. Because you guys have such a challenge, uh, you know, you make it look so easy. But, <laughs> but I know that, you know, you have to negotiate melody with harmony. And and it's just to execute and produce as many notes on the as you can on the piano. It's impossible. But but there's a real art form to solo guitar. Oh, thank I mean, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask you, too, like, you know, because you do these solo concerts, and but you also play in groups, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how does that affect you when you're performing? Like, you know, when you're up here, when you're up in front of an audience by yourself, and it's just you, does that have a different gravitas as far as, you know, prep for the concert or just how you negotiate those challenges yeah yeah i mean i i definitely uh when i'm gonna perform live solo i uh i think about you know what i want to play i often write out the the tunes i want to play i memorize the order i want to play them in and i film myself talking and playing oh really and i rehearse uh not not as a script but i get used to talking in you know like uh introducing the songs talking after the songs, I imagine, you know, uh, reactions Mm -hmm. in my mind, like from, uh, and how I would react to various reactions, scenarios. Um, and, and then I, I mix up the order of the songs I want to play. Um, but I, I basically just make sure that I've lived into the experience before I actually go do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't do that when I'm playing as a sideman, I, I learn the music because no one's looking at me like right. like uh, I, I just make sure that I'm not going to let down the artist. I, I make sure that I have the music learned and like mm-hmm. um, but I don't need to worry about, you know, engagement as much because I'm, I'm standing behind them and they're doing that. Like, right. Uh, right. So the, the big difference is I just try to, uh, you know, uh, create in advance what I think it's going to feel like to play that concert. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't always say what I practice saying, but. I know that I already said it, mm-hmm. so and I know I know how to talk about it. Right, um, and I think that's important too. I, I think it's it's important not only to rehearse music but rehearse, you know, being a performer, or, or at least I need to do that. It's it's not something that comes naturally enough to me to just be like, oh, I'll just show up somewhere and I'll know how to talk to an audience. Right. I need I need to practice that, sure, uh, out sure. of respect for the audience. So, yeah. and that's a good point. You know, I think. Um, you know, so when people come to a show, and uh, obviously they want to hear, in this case, they want to hear the music, but it's, you can obviously do that, you can go online and you can listen to the music. Yeah. But that, that concert experience, that live experience, I think that's a big part of it. It's yeah. just that communication with the audience and giving them that, you know, and in your case, especially with the stories behind the songs, yeah. it's... It's important to relay that. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, I, I think engagement. I mean, in in especially in the current era, like a personal engagement through art has never been more important. I, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like art has been, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it's been devalued. It's been mm-hmm. um, made into something else. It's it's been made into something that's just sort of there. Right. So if you can make it something that's really special, 
then I think an audience appreciates that. Uh, what even if even if they don't know it uh, mm-hmm. per se, like uh, they might walk away like wondering why they feel differently, you know, from from other experiences, and like, oh, maybe it's because like the performer actually engaged. Sure. So yeah. Well, especially this day and age where. Um, you know, obviously AI has its place in, in our society, but um, uh, one thing that it can't really touch, I think, is just that personal, artistic, in-the-moment thing. Yeah, no way. Well, I so mean, it, like, yeah. it, it's soul. I mean, it's like soul, yeah. spontaneity, instinct, uh, experience mm-hmm. that, that can't be recreated. Right. Uh, it has to come from a living thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious, like, uh, I hear a lot of influences in your playing, but, like, who are some of the people that, you know, artistically, uh, g- guitar-wise, influenced you? Um, guitar-wise, early on, uh, when I was a teenager, I was really into Django Reinhardt, uh, mm-hmm. like we were talking about earlier. Um, I really admire uh, his very personal approach to the instrument. I really like his solo stuff, actually, when he plays solo arrangements as some of the the jazz tunes and, and sort of the gypsy tunes uh, yeah. that he played. Uh, I remember really liking that as a kid. Um, I really, uh, as of late, I've actually, uh, <laughs> I've been really psyched from um, recording sessions uh, when I play with other people. Uh, I've been getting compared to James Taylor's guitar playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, which I'm really that. excited about because that, that's like recent and, and I love his playing. He's my, a hero of mine. Yeah. Just my, as an artist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, both of my parents are big fans of his. So I grew up hearing that stuff, but I always really liked his guitar playing, which doesn't, you know, in the guitar world doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Well, I'm not a guitar player. I don't know much about guitar playing, but so what is it about his playing that makes it sound the way it does? I mean, I, just I, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just a very idiosyncratic personal way of approaching uh, texture um, you know it's the way he accompanies himself or the way he accompanies other people uh, it's it it's just very I feel like it's it's very distinctive mm-hmm. uh, and it's very simple uh, but also just really interesting to me yeah. another another player on that level is Glenn Campbell for me um, oh wow I'm yeah. a huge Glenn Campbell fan yeah. Uh, I love those records. I love his, you know, all the stuff he did with the Wrecking Crew as mm-hmm. a session player. Yeah. <coughs> um, but uh, his guitar playing, specifically the way he uh, accompanies when he's singing, uh, when he's playing acoustic, like the way he accompanies himself, that's mm-hmm. the stuff I like the most. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, obviously his solos are great, but um, I really, uh, I, I'm just like really drawn to that type of guitar playing, that sort of uh, getting creative with support. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. I always um, found it interesting learning about his, that involvement in the wrecking crew that he had, that he was kind of one of the, the you know, most of those guys were really crack readers. I mean, they could read anything yeah, and he in couldn't. Los Angeles, yeah. but he couldn't, but he was such an amazing intuitive musician. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. The, the fact that he not only could hang with them, but was one of the top calls. It's like, oh, it's yeah. pretty out of control. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one, uh, Johnny Marr. Oh yeah. Um, I really like again. He, very creative in a supportive setting. You know, not not like shredding solos, just creating. Uh, I think of it almost like you know more like we were talking about before, like orchestration on the yeah. guitar. Yeah. Um, so I like guitar players like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking a little bit uh, before. Mary Halverson is a, a huge influence for me, yeah. uh, which a lot of people might think uh, I, I sound nothing like her. Like, but I really. Uh, 
appreciate and admire her personal approach to the instrument. Right. Um, and that's a big influence on me. And, yeah. and I love her music. Mm-hmm. Um, so her and uh, Julian Lodge, uh, we were yeah, talking about him. 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 He's another favorite of mine. So yeah, yeah, amazing man. Um, well, we had, you had mentioned uh, leading up to this that uh, you wanted to present some of the music you recorded, like more produced music. Yeah. So is there a, um, a tune that you, you were going to do for that? Or? Yeah, yeah. We're going to listen to um, a tune of mine called A Hymn to the Morning, which is uh, the title track for my new record uh, that's inspired by Phyllis Wheatley poems. And I mm-hmm. wanted to release that record this year because uh, it's the 250th anniversary of Phyllis becoming the first African-American to ever publish. Um, and her, she usually gets talked about for that milestone, but I don't think uh, Phyllis gets nearly the credit that she deserves just as a, uh, an amazing writer. Yeah. The writing itself stands so strong, uh, mm-hmm. and it's so beautiful. And uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's a shame that I learned about her as an adult when I, I feel like I should have learned about her in school yeah. with, with other poets. Like She should be up there with Emily Dickinson and, mm-hmm. and other early American poets. Um, so I wanted to make this record, uh, as a tribute to her. And, uh, I wanted to do a little something different with the record too. I invited vocalists on this one. Um, so I composed solo guitar music as usual, but I invited, uh, a series of vocalists to add, uh, vocal textures and double the melody, um, on, on the entire record. Um, now, is there lyric content? Or there's or no lyric just content, the, the just voice. voice. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted voices on yeah. it. Um, so it, it turned out in a way that, uh, I, I'm really happy with, so. Yeah, I'd like to share that title track, A Hymn to the Morning, now. Okay, let's have a listen. Thank you. That's, you know, that's tricky, you know, for a vocalist. I'm not a vocalist, but just having written for voice, it's, um, you have to know what you're doing because you're very exposed in that kind of situation. Yeah, and, and on that particular track, uh, Jen Mundia is the vocalist, and, and Jen is a fantastic vocalist, uh, uh, songwriter as well, and a great session singer. Uh, mm-hmm. She and I have done a lot of sessions in L.A. together for l- licensing stuff, yeah. and um uh, a, a lot of we we've co-written some songs together uh, for for some TV and, and, yeah. and movie stuff. Um, so I hit her up 
and asked her if she'd be down to do this project. And I basically just said, uh, you know, I, I recorded a melody guide for the songs and then I sent her the solo guitar thing. And all I told her was, you know, just sing the melody. And then if you feel like it, you, you can add any other textures you want. And she just like destroyed it. She sings on several tracks on the record, but yeah, yeah, she's really fantastic. And you're right. I mean, it, it, there were very specific people I asked to do this cause, cause it could easily go sideways if it's not the right person. Right. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, well, tell me, like, um, so you're in Baton Rouge right now, yep. and it's not a, a one-off. You're down here for a, for a little over a month, right? Yep, yep. And tell me why you're down here and what's going on. Um, well, I'm down here um, uh, a little bit early but uh, to, to perform here tonight mm-hmm. uh, at the Arts Council. Um, but starting on the 15th of August through the middle of September, I'm going to be doing a, a composer residency with LSU's Vet Med School. So not um, the music school, but the not vet the music school. school. Yeah, okay. the, the the veterinary. So explain school. that to yeah. me. Um, so I was invited by uh, Sandy Sar, who's a good friend of mine and has been following my music, and uh, we we kind of came up with this idea together to to try to uh, come down here and present uh, music in a with a, a center of wellness, of, so a sort of healing music approach uh, for the animals and the staff. And, and the the clients of the vet med school, mm-hmm. um, where I'm going to spend time sort of immersing myself, uh, you know, in the school with the staff, spending time with the animals and the people working with the animals, and composing music uh, coming from a place of, uh, again, a place of wellness, uh, of of just sort of calming and sort of meditative, uh, you know, just creating a, a space of of peace and calmness and, and healing. Uh, in a in a you know uh, an environment that can be insanely stressful uh, sure. and and very you know like just the amounts of stress and anxiety and and I can't imagine the compounded emotions that are just flying around. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is to spend time uh, at the school and then compose music from a stance of wellness and healing. So this will be, uh, is this a new venture for you? Have you done that type of thing before? No, I've never done anything like this. Uh, and, and I've been doing a little bit of a preparation um, of sorts. Uh, I've, I've been finding, uh, again, because I work with literature so often, I've been reading a lot of Greek, earlier Greek mm-hmm. literature, um, and finding a lot of inspiration for the music I'll potentially write uh, mm-hmm. when, I, when I do start working on it. Um, uh, I feel like there's a lot of words in Greek that involve intangible connection, like unspoken connection. Um, uh, one of them that I really like, usia, that I read about, it's uh, more or less means essence. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, the very sort of you know mystical element of uh, the the pure center of who or what something is. Uh, and then there's another one, uh, thauria which I really like. And that, that's sort of an unspoken trust or like a gaze of, of trust and devotion and love with no uh, communication, no outward communication. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of these words to me uh, resonate with the human to animal connection mm-hmm. of how, you know, uh, when whether it's domestic or wildlife, um, you, can, you can kind of create an environment where everybody's scared 
or everybody just slowly walks away or everybody's cool you know, right, without right. speaking because obviously you can't you know, outwardly communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been finding a, a, some connections through that literature that I'm going to use as uh, kind of a way in. But who knows, you know, uh, when I spend time with the animals and the people at the school, that might change. But that's sort of where uh, I'm, my head's at ahead of time. Um, so that's yeah. how I'm kind of going into it. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I've never written uh, in this context before, so I'm excited for it. So will there, um, what does the blueprint look like on that? Is, it, is there a culminating event at the end of it? or Yeah, or? there's, there's going to be a concert, I believe, uh, actually... Before I say that, let me check my calendar to make sure this is right. <laughs> um, there is going to be a concert um, on September 12th okay. where I'm actually going to collaborate with members of the choir, the a cappella choir for oh, LSU, yeah. um, and, and present the music that I'm working on. Okay. Because um, by that point, it'll be nearing the end of the residency, so I'll have uh, everything done. And um, so I'm going I'm to make a song cycle, basically, um, probably from six to nine different pieces, yeah. uh, miniature pieces like I usually do. Um, that, and some of them will incorporate uh, the vocal uh, from the a cappella choir, mm-hmm. uh, and some will be solo guitar, um, depending on how all that works out. But yeah, there will be a, a concert and presentation uh, on September 12th for that. Oh, wow. Well, I, I hope to see that. I'm looking yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll keep you yeah. posted on it. Yeah. Definitely, man. Definitely. Um, well, okay. You're going to do that for a month or so, but you're a traveling musician, so well, I think, well, actually, you just came in from where? Uh, yeah, I, I was on tour in uh, Japan and Korea with, with a very different project uh, called Argonada, mm-hmm. which is me and Adam Sullivan, who's uh, one of my best friends and also a really great producer in New York. Um, so we were, we were in Japan and Korea for our project, for Argonada, uh, playing shows uh, sort of in small, like, rock clubs mm-hmm. and and uh, we were scheduled to play at a festival, but that got rescheduled. So we're going to be going back to Korea in October yeah. to do that. Um, so I was there. I just got back about a week ago from that. Mm-hmm. So. And then uh, anything on, on the books after the residency here? Or are you going to be? Yeah, yeah. Some, some in and out of town stuff on the East Coast uh, with various uh, projects and playing in a couple of chamber ensembles mm-hmm. in New York that have some out of town uh, dates. And uh, at some point, uh, Possibly in November, but it might be rescheduled. I'm going to be going to Germany and Holland to do some solo and duo acoustic guitar stuff wow. with a friend of mine, uh, Alex Florin, mm-hmm. uh, in Germany. Awesome, man. Yeah, so that's what's on the on the, the docket right now. That's great. That's great. Uh, well, look, I have this piano here, and I want to... Uh I don't want to let you leave without trying to play a tune with oh, you. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so you brought in a tune, and tell me about this tune. Yeah, I brought in um, uh, uh, another uh, really special one. This is going to be a lot of fun to play with you uh, after everything we've been talking about. This is a song called Erilyn uh, that's named after the street, Erilyn Drive, I grew up on in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And um, this is actually the first, quote, song I ever wrote. Uh, It's a melody I just used to hum a lot when I was a kid. When I was around eight, I'd be playing outside by myself uh, and just humming this melody over and over again. And I never forgot it. So it, I, I sort of like harmonized it on guitar and recorded it a few times uh, mm-hmm. on a solo album of mine called Veritatis, yep. and then on a duo album with uh, Cameron Mizell, who's a, another acoustic guitarist, acoustic and electric guitarist, um, and uh, another uh, really good friend of mine. And we have a duo project uh, for Destiny Records, mm-hmm. uh, that, the label that I'm on that's based in Texas, and uh, that's what all of my music is available on. Uh, you can find it on my website. Uh, there's ways to stream it and. Uh, and listen to it and pick it up from the label 
But this is on uh, the album Veriditas is a solo piece, and then a local folklore duo album with Cameron Mizell. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just a very simple melody that's a lot of fun to play in a duo setting. Uh, I've never played it with a pianist before, so uh, I'm, I'm honored to be playing it with such a world-class well, pianist. If I mess point. it up, my apologies. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not worried. So. Yeah, thanks so much for, for wanting to do this. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. All right. Oh, well, before, since I, we're probably going to close on this, uh, oh, yeah. when people want to find you online, where do they go? Uh, the easiest way to find me online is charlierau.com. So my last name is spelled R-A-U-H, okay. and just Charlie. R-A-U-H dot com. Um, and that has uh, all of my music and, and links uh, to my social media and everything is there. Okay. Um, there's, I, I have all of my, my tour dates are listed there. Um, so it's, it's kind of everything is centered around there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the yeah. easiest. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, and I hope the show tonight goes fabulous. Well, oh, thank you so much. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Yeah.
Charlie. Yeah, man. It's <laughs> pleasure, man. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for doing that. Oh, Sound thank fantastic. you. Yeah, thank you. you well, it's, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure, man. Appreciate well, it. Thank you so much. The Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge would like to acknowledge our generous sponsors, the Shell Corporation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, and the City of Baton Rouge.